What a blessing. I hope you have your Bibles open, if you would, to Colossians chapter number 3. A real pivotal portion of Scripture that ought to be looked at for every believer. And I think that the trouble we have today uh, is everybody's looking for something else other than an expository, good, strong message from the Word of God. We're looking for maybe a song or perhaps a drama or some kind of a feeling and and uh, we don't have hungry Christians much anymore. People that want to know the Word of God and what does it say. And I really believe if you're here this morning and you want to be the kind of Christian that God desires for you to be, then listen to what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 because it's really, I think, one of the pivotal portions of Scripture that helps the, the person who comes to Christ to know how that they ought to respond to the things of this world. I like verse number 13, it says, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning, and we thank you for this portion of Scripture. Father, I pray that you'd help me to explain this portion, and I pray that each person listening would take heed and also apply what your word says. We're so thankful that you have preserved it for us. We know that even though we live in a dark world, the light of your word continues to shine. We ask that you help us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scriptures tell us to abide in Christ just as the branch connects to the vine. I think we understand when it talks about us uh, abiding in Christ, it's talking about how we ought to continue in him. Uh, we ought to remain in Him. Believers who abide in the Lord no longer exist for themselves, but rather they live for Him. And so we do this by submitting to God and by obeying God and allowing Him His right to live His life through us. And in this way, the strength and the energy that characterizes the life of Christ then can become ours. You say, well, I'm just lacking something in my Christian walk. It might just be that you don't understand completely uh, this portion of Scripture where it tells us to put off and to put on. I want you to look with me, if you would, at the first verse of Colossians chapter 3. The Bible says, if then, so we look at this as a supposition a lot of times. We think, well, it could be or couldn't be, but if it is. Well, when you read the Greek language and you understand a little bit more in the way that it is written, it, it really means since. You have. Look at it again. If ye then be risen with Christ. What a positive statement. Been risen with Christ. And so, uh, I'm so, aren't you glad that Jesus rose from the grave? You know, if Jesus was still in the grave, so would you be. You know, just say we'd have nothing but maybe 70, 80, 90 years of life, and then we go to the grave and it's over. That's not the way it is. The reality is that Christ came out of the grave alive, he is risen, and we're risen with him. And so we ought to be understanding this as a positive statement, giving us that encouragement. And I want to encourage you also that it's talking about if ye then be, or since you have been risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. I think really this is a pivotal understanding for anybody who comes to Christ, because here's the problem. People come with all of their baggage and all of their sin problem, and they want God to fix it. And so they come to God and they think, well, God, would you please forgive me? Yes, he will. He will forgive you. 
If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But sometimes we're not willing to do our part. Is that we need to stand up. We need to get up and get moving for Christ. You know, a lot of times I'll hear people say to me, you know, where's God in all this? He's right there. But you can't see it because you're so blinded by your own desires of your own hearts and your own stubbornness and your own pride. All of that is keeping you from seeing God. And so when we come to the place of understanding this passage, it tells for us to to actually get to the place where we set our affections on things above. And and the the seeking here is so important. I was saying this in the morning uh, the other day, of course, helping us understand a little bit more of of seeking the Lord. Because really, when you're seeking the Lord, what are you doing? You're saying that He is God. He's, he's, his providence is part of my life. I understand that he's in charge and I'm not. When I'm seeking God and I'm looking to him and I'm asking him to help me, it's actually submitting to him. And so that's what's needed. You need to yield to Christ. And so for the Christian to be able to say, well, now I'm saved, I've come to Christ, there needs to be those steps that you actually begin to seek the Lord. shows that you're submitting to him. Let me tell you something, if you are here this morning and you're not serving the Lord in any capacity, you come Sunday after Sunday and you're used to hearing the preaching and you love the singing, love the shaking of the hands, but you're not serving the Lord, perhaps it's because you're not seeking the Lord. I think anybody who's seeking God is submitting to Him is going to be serving Him. He's the the Almighty God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be serving Him when He comes? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be, to be here in the church looking at the Lord and worshiping Him when He comes? All of a sudden, the eastern sky splits open, and all of a sudden we leave the ground. We hear the trump and the voice of the archangel. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be able to be in His presence? You know the first thing you'd say, thank you for forgiving me. The Apostle Paul knew that the church at Colossae needed to hear this, that they needed to deal with the things in their life. Look what it says, seat. Seek, in verse number one, verse number two, set, for ye are dead. Verse number three, in your life is hid with Christ in God. So when Christ is your life, shall appear, then you also shall appear with him in glory. Then mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. And look at verse number uh, five, if you would, with me, because a lot of times people are not understanding that these things need to get out of our life completely. We need to cut them out. Someone actually said that verse number one uses the word seek. Verse number two uses the word set. Verse number five uses the word slay. Slay, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. That's fornication. That's the same word for pornea. Uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. And and all of that is covetousness. And covetousness is idolatry. And he's telling the church at Colossae, you need to mortify these things and get rid of them. And so as we yield our entire being to God and abide in Christ, he will then confirm uh, our thoughts of his will, uh, his purpose. All of that will be plain within our eyes. Many people walk through their life and they don't really understand what God wants for them. Why am I here? Why do I live? Why was I born? Everything in your life has happened up to this point because God has allowed it to happen so that you can become what he desires for you to become and you can glorify him with your life. I don't like bad things happening. Nobody does. 
And when difficult crises come in my life and difficulty and hardships come, what am I going to do? I'm going to look to God and, and ask God to help me. And I really think that we can see three things out of the text if I can. And, and I really want to zero in on this whole thing uh, of putting off and putting on. Because it's not preached on today. People are actually getting saved and all they're doing is putting on all kinds of things and not putting off their old life, the old music and the old drinking and the old bar, bar group and the old pot smoking people and the old alcoholic cocaine users. And you, you're supposed to do away with all of those in order to be able to walk with God. But the Christians today want to have all of that. You know, they want to be able to go out on Friday night and party and, 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 and drink and have immoral relationships. And then they want to come on Sunday and think everything's fine. It's not fine. And you're going to be confused your whole life. And God wants you to be able to have a clear mind and a clear understanding of, of your purpose and who he is. And I really say this a lot. It, it, moral decline causes mental dissonance. And so clean up your lives is what I'm trying to say. If you're going to put something on, take something off. Put off the old and put on the new. The Bible gives us this understanding in Colossians chapter 3, uh, 1 through 3, very clear. And then we're supposed to cut off then uh, and slay those members. But I want you to look, if you would, with me. Um, let's look at verse number 8. But now he also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so it's dealing with this putting off. And it's talking about the old man. It's talking about the old garments, you know, to put off. Uh, and so I want to, first of all, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to show you the divine mandate, the put off and the put on. This is what re God requires uh, of his children, to put off. And to put on. Look at verse number 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. And so now he says that we're supposed to put on these things. Put off and put on. And, uh, and so this, this really passage is designed to help us know that we are called by God as Gentiles to the same privileges as the Jews and intended to make us as truly his people as the Jews ever were. He calls us the elect, or the chosen of God, as he called the Jews, and who were formerly the elect, were still beloved, they're called to be holy, so he calls us beloved, and shows us that we are called with the same holy calling, calling as he called his people, the chosen people, the Jewish people. He calls the believers this. Barnes uh, puts it this way. He said, the fact that you thus belong to one of the same church, that you have been redeemed by the same blood and chosen by the same grace, and that you are all brethren, should lead you to manifest a spirit of kindness and gentleness and love, especially to each other. Um, the apostle would have, have, have them to feel the slightest touch of another's misery. And as, as their clothes are put off of their body, so their tenderness feeling should always be within reach of the miserable. In other words, how can we ever really feel the infirmities and the difficulties and the hurts of our neighbor when we're so 
wrapped up in our own lives and thinking about ourselves and still involved with the lying and the cheating and so on and and, and the self-willed. I think it's important for us to know that the more we deal with our own hearts, the more sensitive we get and the more opportunities we will have to be able to love the brethren and encourage them. And So when we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, we put on His ability to live with a holy compassion toward the feeling of others and to feel the slightest touch of another's misery. Uh, that is Christ-likeness, and that is what's needed today more than ever. I think about how that uh, there are certain people that have this gift of mercy and they're able to reach out a little bit more to the hurting and I know who they are in our church. I can explain, I can put up on the screen, you that have the gift of mercy. And whenever you're talking to someone who has the gift of mercy, they, they kind of groan while you're talking to them. You'll say to them something like, you know, I, I've been just really not being able to sleep lately. Oh, they say, oh, you know, what's bothering? And that gift of mercy comes out. Mercy is the same word for compassion. Understand this, that that is not going to be part of your life if you're wrapped up in yourself. Because all you're going to be doing is thinking about your own feelings, not the feelings of somebody else. It would be good for all of us to stop being so sensitive about our own feelings and start really being sensitive toward what really matters, and that is others. I can't help, as I get older, to think about how that... How that uh, uh, my life is getting um, more and more frail. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not as quick as I used to be, uh, not as bright as I was, not as strong as I used to be. I, mean, I used to have a strong back and a weak mind. And since my back problems, now I have a weak back and a weak mind. So I'm kind of in a dilemma. But, uh, but God's been good and gracious. But the older I get, the more I see that Sugar kind of helps the medicine go on a little better. I think with compassion and mercy and sensitivity and care, authentic care is so needed today more than ever. We live in a world full of burdens. Every single person in this room is overburdened. Your mind is full of cares and difficulties. And on the way here, I even thought about changing the message this morning. But somehow God has directed me to talk about how that, 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 that this putting off and putting on is just like the, you need to take off the old garment and put on the new. Yes, Jesus Christ has come into your life. Yes, he's renewed you and he's written your na- name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And, and yes, you're going to be on the streets of gold and as if you're already there because you're already risen with him. We see that in the first verse. But it's your responsibility to put off, and to put on. Your parents can't do it for you. Oh, they wish you could. They could. They wish they could help you, but they can't. You have to do it yourself. Personally do it. One of the commentators was actually stating this, concerning this whole passage, and this is what he said. Clothing is the essential external badge of individuality. Without clothing or with an absolute uniformity of clothing, it would scarcely be possible for one man to be known from another. And much of the character comes 
out in one's dress. The vain, the proud, the the miserable, the disorderly, the reckless man may often be quickly distinguished by his dress. And so a man's disposition is the dress of his soul. So don't think I'm talking about the external here, because I'm not. Someone actually texted me this morning, what should I wear? And I said, you wear whatever your conscience provides you to wear. It's up to you. I'm not your conscience. God takes care of that. You wear what you believe you need to wear. I'm talking about what are you wearing? How is your soul dressed? That's what I'm talking about here. The commentary goes on to say, or the commentator goes on to say, you know the tone of the Spirit, which distinguishes him from another, And you are struck with it as soon as you are in his company. The word habit may be applied either to the material or to the immaterial parts uh, of the human being. And it's connecting link between the dress of the body and the disposition of the soul. So it is an imperative that the Christian would change their clothes. Put on the clothes of the body of the soul needs to be what God says it needs to be. Look what it says really quick in the Bible. If you could look there with me, beginning in in verse number uh, 10. It says, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that is created. Look at verse number 12. And put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and a beloved Bowels of mercy, that's talking about your compassion from the inside. That's that kindness and humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. This is your disposition. Dear friend, listen to me. Your disposition counts. When you walk into a room or you face people, you need to have a godly disposition. What, What does your soul look like? Does it still look like it did before you got saved? Then it's time to change clothes. It's imperative that the Christian change clothes, but not the clothes of the body, clothes of the soul. So put on, put off before you can put on. uh, My wife was ironing my shirt for me this morning, and and, I don't really like this color, peach, peach and pink. I don't really like those two colors. But uh, she said, look what I'm wearing. I thought it would kind of match a little bit, so I said, okay. I'll wear that, you know. But if I still had my pajama top on, it wouldn't look right. Correct? Now, what if I had long sleeves and they were striped? It looked like the Brewers over the top of this shirt. You'd say to me, Pastor, it's just not together. I, I knew he was losing it. I knew it. You'd be saying that, right? I'd take my pajama top off before I could put this on. It's time to wake up. Take off the old, because the old life is not working for you, and it never will. But that's not my message. As I'm thinking about this divine mandate, that it's imperative, what is the method? And I think it's important for us to remember that we are to put off the old and put on the new. In verse number 13, it says, then, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And so this is the divine method that we would understand that forgiveness really works. I thought about how that the word forgiveness, according to Noah's Webster's, it says to pardon, 
or to remit as an offense or debt, to overlook an offense, and to treat the offender not as guilty. The original and proper phrase is to forgive the offense, to send it away, to reject it. That is not to impute it or put on put it on the offender. In other words, if you keep bringing something up all the time and telling the person, remember when you did this? Didn't you ask them for forgiveness? Didn't you get forgiveness from God? Well, you certainly did. But this forgiveness thing is really, really, really important because if we keep hashing it over and over and over again, we're not going to be able to move forward for God. I had a fellow call me this last week, last couple of weeks. He's been dealing. He's been calling me for a couple of months. And he's struggling. He's probably listening this morning. And, uh, and I kept saying, you need to take it to the Lord. And, uh, and then I would get this comment, but then why is it always in my mind? I said, listen, if, if you were to take your neighbor's cat after it was hit by a car, and you were to take that dead cat, and you were to bury it in the backyard of your house, okay? Would you go back every single month and take a look and see if it's alive? He said, no, it's still dead. Said, that's, that's, stop digging up your sins. You've taken them to God. Leave them there. He's thrown them as far as the east. Is. See, Satan will accuse you. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So he'll keep bringing up your past. That's why we should never do that. If you've come to Grace Baptist Church and you're trying to seek the Lord's will and seek his way, we're not going to throw anything back in your face. No, that's been taken care of. That's what Calvary's all about. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we love grace so much. It's because we've been forgiven. And now we can actually be the same size at the foot of the cross moving forward. Well, what's interesting a lot of times is we have trouble with this. And I think that this is, this is a big issue, forgiveness. And so to be able to forgive from the heart. And so I said, stop digging up the cat in the backyard and seeing if it's dead. It's dead. It's gone. You don't have to keep trying to resuscitate it. Good night. But why should we forgive? I think the verse gives us an understanding of why we should. Look at the verse with me, if you would, again. Verse number 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Because God has forgiven us and commands that we forgive. We do not forgive because we feel like we should. We forgive because God commands that we are to forgive. You ever hear someone say, well, I'll forgive when I get ready. Dear friend, for your own benefit, don't be that person. Because what's going to happen to you, if you don't forgive others, you think, well, I'll make them pay. No, you're the one that's going to pay. Because it's going to eat away at your heart. That relationship that you once had that was now not there. Maybe somebody actually took money from you and you don't have what you used to have. Maybe somebody actually called you something that you're not. Forgive them. Isn't this what Jesus did? 
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Because if you fail to forgive, it'll hinder your forgiveness. Listen to this verse. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pretty, pretty important. It's kind of like you got your back against the wall. You've got to forgive. The Bible's very clear that we need to. C.S. Lewis wrote this about forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is a beautiful word until we have something to forgive. Respected counselor and author David Siemens offered, uh, ob- observes the most emotional problems among evangelical Christians are caused by the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional love, the forgiveness and grace to other people. He said the good news of the gospel has not penetrated the level of their emotions yet. And they still harbor hurt, and don't forgive. Someone said perhaps the reason why some do not forgive is because they cannot give away something that they don't have. I remember when I came to myself concerning my own walk with God. I was 27 years old. Came to a church like this one, knelt down, got everything open with God. I said, I have nothing to offer you. Nothing. I have no talent. Anything. I can't sing. I can't play any instrument. All I have is a voice. And if you want to use me, I'm here to be used. But I remember at 27 years old, I gave everything. And you know what happened? I found this little book called uh, uh, Revival by Charles Finney. And I began to read it. It's a little small little book. And inside there was telling me, don't go to the next page until you're willing to clean your heart up completely. And so I, that book sat there on my desk for a long period of time until I said, wait a minute. I'm going to turn the page and get serious. And you know what it said? List every single sin that you can remember that you did and you have not made it right with the person that you hurt. Wow. I wrote a few things down. Then I wrote a few more down. And by the end of the week, I had a list like this long. But you know what? I started at the top and I began to try to get every single person. I'll never forget driving down to Hammond, Indiana, what happened was I was a, a freshman in Bible college and I was told not to bring tractors onto the campus. Uh, a man by the name of Jim Works uh, had a big farm and I was milking his cows. And One of the professors said, don't bring any of Jim's machinery here, don't bring any of his trailers here, but I did. They had a hayride for the college students and so I brought the tractor, brought the hay. Well, we got too many college students on that, on that trailer, and we broke it. And so um, the professor called me in, and he said, uh, his name was Judson Mitchell, by the way. Maybe some of you know who he is. Went down to Champion Baptist College, was there. He was down at Providence Baptist College for a while. So I went in the office, just a young man, probably 18 years old, 
And he said, you uh, went against what I said. And I says, yeah, I did. I remember I had three 20s in my pocket, and I took them out, and I gave it to him, and I said, here, can you fix it for me? Because money fixes everything, right? You know. All he was looking for was, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? That's all he was looking for. I didn't do it. Here, fix it. I walked out, left Hiles Anderson College, went on into the Marine Corps. When I got my heart right with God, it was time to look up Judson Mitchell, and I found him. I found him at Baptist City in Hammond, Indiana. When I was able to go to the small little place there where the apartments were and stuff, and he was at the gymnasium. I don't even know if my wife was with me or not. But I finally found Judson Mitchell. I took him by the hand, and I said, I'm so sorry for what I did years ago. Would you forgive me? And you know, that man was by, he's got to be the the tenderest heart of a person. He he was such a, a pillar for young people. He was the dean of students at Hiles Anderson College when I was there, but he also helped me on the farm, plow field, we did chisel plowing and everything. But I'm telling you all this is because when you want to get real with God, he'll get real with you. And if you want to be fakey with God, he's not going to be real with you. He's going to be distant from you. God will always be there, but don't be fakey with him. Be sincere and go before him. I don't care how weak you feel. He will give you the strength you need to, to do what, what's needed. Judson Mitchell wasn't the only one. You probably want to hear some more bad things about your pastor, but you can ask me and be I'll write a book about it someday. But there are other times. Unforgiveness leads to bitterness and resentment. And a contaminated heart will then spill over on other people. You ever wonder why you're sitting at the table all by yourself all the time? You wonder why the break room empties out when you come in to break? Because the Bible is true. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, Follow peace with all men, and holiness without, which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. You fail to use the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Three thoughts about forgiveness. Let me give you the first one. Forgiveness is a gift that we do not deserve. And when somebody forgives me, I don't deserve it. But I'm willing to forgive them and move forward. Forgiveness... Is, is erasing or foregoing what is due, canceling the debt that is owed, and giving up all the claims. It's giving to the others what God has given you. And once received from God, then you can pass it on to others. Last thought. Failing to forgive results in personal torture and inner torment. We become prisoners of pain. Most of the time we become prisoners of past pain. And I think all of us in this room have times where we were hurt and we had an incredible pain and didn't think we would be able to move on. But you know what? Forgiveness is freeing. I like what David Stoops said. He said, forgiveness is fixing in me what somebody else broke. Pretty powerful. Because people can do things to me but I can choose whether I'm going to forgive them or not. 
And there's been times in my past when I've had to forgive. There's been times when I had to be forgiven. And this is what the Lord gives to us in his word. I think it's important for us to know that this is very pivotal, that, that, that we would actually learn early on in our Christian life that in order to be the kind of Christian God wants me to be, I need to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Isn't this what makes Joseph so great and so powerful? He forgave and he forgave and he forgave. So should you. So we see. The divine mandate, the divine method, but then the divine model, as Christ has forgiven you. Pretty simple. Christ, who required no satisfaction and sought for nothing in you but the broken, the contrite heart, and freely forgave you as soon as you returned to him. No man should for a moment harbor ill within his heart. We are to forgive others the same way that Jesus Christ has forgiven us. Don Smith Jordan had to learn forgiveness the hard way. Her story became the basis of a CBS television series called Nightmare in Columbia County. On May 1, 1985, her 17-year-old sister, Sherry Smith, was abducted while walking from her car to her mailbox. And five days later, Sherry's body was discovered. And soon afterward, the Smith family received a letter in the mail that had been written by Sherry. The kidnapper had allowed her to write it before he murdered her. And then he mailed it. Sherry called her letter, My Last Will and Testament. This is what she wrote. I love all of you so much. And please don't let this ruin your lives. Keep living one day at a time for Jesus. Don't worry about me, because I know I'm going to be with my father. And since the time Sherry and Dawn were little girls, their father had made a practice of taping scripture verses to the bathroom mirror for them to memorize. Now, in the moment before she was to die, Sherry recalled one of those verses, and she wrote, Remember, please, all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his promise, all my love, Sherry. But her family's nightmare was far from over. The killer then telephoned the Smith family numerous times cruelly describing the gruesome details of how he murdered Sherry. Untimely, he was apprehended and received, I mean, ultimately, he was apprehended and received two death sentences for his brutal crime. Now Dawn thought the story was finally finished, and she would try to rebuild her shattered life, and a few years later, however, she received a letter that would be forever changing her life, the killer wrote to Dawn to let her know that he had become a born-again believer. Dawn, he asked, will you and your family ever forgive me for what I have done? How would you respond? Because you think, oh, I would just forgive him. Would you? Could you? Dawn said, I knew as a Christian that when somebody wrongs you, you are to forgive him. That's a basic knowledge. 
Yet all of a sudden, forgiveness was a whole lot harder to do. God brought to her Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Forgive them. Dawn declares, it wasn't easy, it wasn't overnight, but God gave me the answer that I needed. We are to forgive just as Jesus forgave us. And I was finally able to sit down and write a letter to Mr. Bell telling him that the only way that I could actually do this was through the grace of the God of heaven. But you, sir, are forgiven. I think about how that certain people catch my eye when I hear them, their songs or their poetry. One of those men, William Cowper, I mentioned him last week and never really got my message in last week. But I hope you're listening this morning. In closing, I want to read to you what William Cowper wrote. He said, Sin enslaved my many years and led me bound and blind till at length a thousand fears came swarming o'er my mind. Where, said I, in deep distress, will these sinful pleasures end? And how shall I secure my peace and make Jesus my friend? Friends and ministers said much, the gospel to enforce, but my blindness still was such I chose a legal course. Much I fasted, watched, and strove, scarce would show my face abroad, feared almost to speak or move, a stranger still to God. Thus afraid to trust his grace, long time did I rebel, till despairing, of my case, down at his feet I fell. And then my stubborn heart he broke and subdued me in his way. But a simple word he spoke, your sins have been done away. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, the Bible tells us of a woman who was full of sin, was uninvited, but came into the feet of Jesus, and she wept because of the weight of her sin. Her conscience bothered her day and night. She knew she'd erred against God. And she began to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears and then wash his feet dry with her hair. It's an amazing story. But you know what Jesus said to her? It is your faith that has saved you. You are forgiven. Go in peace. Are you that person that needs the peace this morning? It's the easiest thing to do is to say, I'm sorry. But the most needful thing to do is to mean it from the heart. And I think really that you need to begin with God, not the people around you. If you would take the time to look up toward heaven and say, God, I've sinned against you and only you. Would you forgive me? He'll give you the power to go to others and ask them to forgive you too. Forgiveness. It should be known among the Christians. These are my people because they forgive. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I know where Jesus is. He's here. And he's drawing you. 2,000 years ago, he paid the price. They crucified him. 
They beat him. He took a sword up his side. He took his last breath and said, it's finished. And gave up the ghost. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again. But he did all of that so that you could be free. He paid for your sin. You don't have to pay for it. He paid for it. Why don't you come to Jesus? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. Let's have an invitation. If you need to come, you come. Maybe it's for salvation. Maybe it's for church membership. Maybe it's for baptism. Whatever you need to do, you come. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen.